Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Danielle Moody. And I'm Wajad Ali. And Waj, we have a very special guest that I would like you to do. I mean, you you brought on a former professor. I wish that I could do that. Mine all hated me uh, and told me that I, I, you know, I wouldn't amount to anything in politics. Ha ha, with them. Um, but please do us the good, good honor of introducing Professor Hing. Well, our esteemed guest is my former professor who actually also told me you, you, you should, probably shouldn't do law. And I didn't know if that was a compliment or not. But here we have uh, my former professor, the beloved, the, the infamous, the well-known Professor Bill Ong Hing. He is the founding director of the Immigration and Deportation Defense Clinic. He is an author of numerous books, including the recently released Humanizing Immigration, How to Transform our racist and unjust system, excuse me. And he is a professor at University of San Francisco and a former professor at my alma mater, UC Davis King Hall Law School, where he taught me how to negotiate. We love this. Thank you for the invitation. And I don't think I ever told you not to practice law. In fact, your listeners may not realize this. Waj was actually a very successful lawyer. And he practiced in Contra Costa County, as I recall, and he had some wonderful victories. And he's been committed to social justice from the legal side as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud to have played a tiny role in that journey. Well, the negotiations class helped me get married. So I, I appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> and helped me stay married. Uh, but, you know, it was so interesting is that you released this book and we've, you know, uh, you've been very kind to me throughout the years and you've been kind to your students and you have tried your best um, in your uh, prolific career. And, and people should really see Professor Hing's career. It's been fantastic to help humanize immigrants and the immigrant story and undocumented immigrants in particular. And as we were bringing you on to the show, we were talking, uh, two things happened. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, let's start off, you know, we always want to start off with Nazis and end towards democracy. So, Danielle, let, let's start off with Nazis. Uh, what's yeah. the latest in the Nazi news? Oh, wonderful. I'm so glad to be the anchor for that. <laughs> um, so, essentially... Uh, Professor Hing, um, Donald Trump has been doubling and tripling down 
on his racist rhetoric. I don't know when the media will stop saying that he has echoes of Hitler and are just finally saying what it is that he's saying. It is not Hitler-esque. It just is white supremacy um, and violence. Uh, but recently, he talked again, spoke again about um, getting rid of deporting massive deportations for undocumented or documented uh, immigrants, and that they are, quote, poisoning the blood of America. Now, for those who may not be history buffs, similar, actually, the exact same language was used by Hitler in Mein Kampf when he said that Germany um, for non-Aryan people was being poisoned by the blood of Jewish people and others. So my question is, um, do we take this lightly? Do we just think to ourselves, oh, there he goes again? The man that was able to move around, you know, the Constitution in order to institute a Muslim ban that put children in cages? Like, should we just shrug this one off? Professor, oh, of Hing, be, 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 Professor Hing, if you may, I'm so sorry. Before you continue, I actually brought up the full quote. And if I may, for our listeners, I just want to read his exact full quote right before you, you speak. He said, immigrants are poisoning the blood of our country. But he continued, quote, that's what they've done. They've poisoned mental institutions and prisons all over the world, not just in South America, not just the three or four countries that we think about, but all over the world. They're coming into our country from Africa, from Asia, all over the world, end quote. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, this is something to take seriously. I mean, this this Aryan kind of racist uh, Hitler-esque type of, uh, of sentiment is something we have to be concerned with. And and uh, my, my dear friend Wajahat reminded me recently of the of that they're coming from shithole country. Uh, as well. That's all of the same ilk. Uh, we have to take this seriously because, as you said, Danielle, not only did he, within five days of sworn, being sworn into the office, instituted the Muslim ban, that finally the third iteration was upheld by, by the Roberts court, um, but he also began his campaign with his infamous Mexicans are all rapists and criminals. But then he continued during his administration to attempt to terminate DACA, the attempt to, uh, it, it manifests itself in policy. And his Stephen Miller types of ideas even tried to close down foreign students. There, people forget in the middle of the administration, he said, well, you know, I don't think we should allow foreign students into the country anymore. Well, guess where most of the foreign students were coming from? They were coming from countries of Asia, countries of Africa. I, and I want to mention Africa because that that is left out of much of the immigration discussion, unfortunately, today, um, that you have a better chance of being detained if you're a black migrant than any other migrant. You have a better chance of being deported if you're a black migrant than any other kind of migrant. And, and we forget that. And so the, his attempt to close the borders was an attempt to also try to cut off black migration to the United States at a time when black migrants began to start coming to the United States in the last 20 years through two avenues, refugees, and also surprisingly enough, the so-called diversity visas. 
Uh, and he wanted to, that was another one of his proposals to end the diversity visa program, which it's kind of ironic because early on, I kind of spoke out against the diversity visas in the 1980s. So I'm that old. Okay. Uh, we, we remember the 80s. You're, you're with a good company here. This is a safe space. So the 1980s, uh, when, when the diversity program was established, it was actually to help Western Europeans who couldn't immigrate anymore. They didn't have family, most specifically Irish, Irish nationals, who are good friends of mine, okay? We all have Irish national friends. But what has slowly evolved is the diversity visa has actually been an enabling possibilities for people who are coming from countries of color that don't send a lot of regular immigrants to the United States. And so, so countries of Asia, certain countries of Asia, but certainly countries of, of of Africa. So I'm just putting that on the table that uh, his policies during his administration really tried to close the door on immigrants of color. And, uh, you know, Title 42, which many mm. of your listeners are familiar with, that finally did close the door to immigrants of color for a critical period of time that carried over into the Biden administration. And, you know, so it's serious. And we should take him literally and seriously. And on this show, we do because, you know, amidst what's happening in Israel and Gaza and with the upcoming election, uh, I think a large part of what Trump is promising and threatening gets swept under the rug. It, it lasts in the news perhaps for like an hour. But people are forgetting that this is the same man in October after uh, what happened in uh, Gaza and the escalating now continuing war. Israel's war in Gaza, he said that he's going to have an ideological test for immigrants, right? He's going to deport anyone who's sympathetic to jihadism or Hamas. Uh, Ryan Zinke, one of the most corrupt members of his administration, who's now an elected official, said he's going to deport Palestinians, right? Uh, Donald Trump promised uh, that if he gets elected again, he's going to reinstate the Muslim ban, he would restore his Remain in Mexico program, and he would also then attack legal immigration. And this is where I just want you to unpack it, because I think people, you know, because not everyone's well-versed in immigration. They think, ah, all those illegals, the undocumented, you even hear Democrats say this. Talk to us about the very deliberate Stephen Miller, white nationalist, Donald Trump attack on legal immigration, Professor Hing. Well, okay, so if you look at the data, most legal immigrants who come to the United States today are coming from Asian countries and Latin American countries, way over 90%. Okay. So it's it's not a coincidence that there is attack on legal immigration. And it comes from a language that has appealed to uh to, to middle America that doesn't pay much attention. And it comes in this form of language actually often. Well, why don't we, instead of allowing relatives of immigrants coming, shouldn't we allow immigrants who are going to help the economy? And what that translates to is more so-called employment visas, but the but the pretext is really to to limit immigration to people who are coming from white countries because one of the main requirements is usually it's got you have to have English literacy, you have to have a college degree, you have to be of a profession that Silicon Valley is going to want and. What, that that may end up shooting them in their foot, okay? Because they don't realize that they're. Actually, <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm like, I'm not 100 percent sure. They, understand yeah. that there's a lot of South Asians that are gonna qualify, yep. and so, but they're, but that's what they want to do is they don't want the fact that a that a Chinese 
person or a Vietnamese person or a Salvadoran person can petition for their relatives under the current immigration system. They want to cut that off. And, and, and what they're saying is that we have too many immigrants. And this is at a time when the, the, the population of the country actually is not increasing. Uh, what is increasing is diversity of the country. That is definitely true, okay? And there are reasons why anti-immigrant state legislation has swept through the South, okay? So it, it began with Arizona more than a dozen years ago, and it went to Alabama, and it went to Georgia. There was a reason why 20 years ago, MALDEF opened an off, closed their office in San Francisco and opened an office in Atlanta, uh, and it's because they saw the demographic change. Well, they're not the only ones. We're not the only ones that see the demographic change and how that's going to influence elections. That is part of what the Republicans are about. They actually think that the more diversity among our immigrants, that that translates into demographic democratic votes. I mean, just between you and me, I hope no one's listening. No. There's actually a lot of conservative uh, immigrants of color. Okay, I You have to- don't say. Huh. So I have to debate with them as well. But but Republicans believe that the more immigrants that color that come in, it's going to threaten their political base. I mean, you know, and I just want to connect the dots here for for people that are listening. Donald Trump comes into office, let's just say, and he closes all of the borders. He deports a bunch of people. This coincides with their push for forced labor, right? Because the push around abortion has been about white babies and forcing white women to have more white babies. This is part of their larger plan. These things are not happening in vacuum, right? What they are trying to do, as Waj says often, um, is bring us back to 1953 right? Because 1953 is right before every bit of civil rights and push was happening in this country. And then you move on 10 years, voting rights, you move on another 10 years, you get women having economic, right? And financial independence through credit cards and being able to buy homes and all of these things in the workplace is flooded. So if they can, you know, cut off all of these things, force white women to have babies and get rid of all the people of color, somehow they think that this is going to turn into a a white supremacist Disneyland for them. Tell us the truth about that, though. You know, I'll tell you why your your reference back to 1953 is so astute, okay? You may not realize this, but there was a major overhaul of the Immigration Act in 1952. It was kind of a pivotal moment, then another one in 1965. Up until 1952, the immigration law was based on something called a national origins quota system that went into effect in the 1920s. This is what immigration was based on between 1920 and 1952. It was based on the proportion of the population of the United States. Hold on to your seat in 1890, okay, when the when the national origin quota system, sorry, I'm boring your listeners. No, please Na- go. National origin quota system went into effect in the 1920s. Congress, in its wisdom, said, 
we want to pick the era of the country that was the per most perfect when it came to the proportion, the racial proportion of the United States. Hey, guess what? 1890 was the best proportionate number of white people in the United States. It was, of course, was mostly Western European, not just Europe, but Western European. And so they would pick a number every year. Okay, we're going to allow half a million immigrants in the United States, but the proportion of that half million would have to be over 90% Western European because beginning in the 1920s, because that's what the proportion was in 1890. That's what the national origin quota system was up until 1952, and it still hung on until the vestiges were kind of eliminated in 1965. So not only are you right in terms of what was happening in terms of voting rights and individual rights, privacy rights, which all evolved beginning after that. The, the, the right to abortion all grew out of a right to privacy notion that, and the seed of which was in the early, the late 1950s, early 1960s. But it coincided at a time when the immigration system was completely racist. It was upfront about it. We only white, want white Western Europeans to immigrate uh, through that period. From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that forced David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. It's it's interesting that you said that that it's so blatant, so open, so pure, so honest about <laughs> its intention, right? To keep this country white, because people oftentimes think that Donald Trump and Stephen Miller and others represent some new phase of white supremacy. It's always been this way, Professor Hing. And what's always frustrated me, and we've talked about this before, is that Democrats who have a multiracial base, uh, whose base many would say are black people. Uh, has always punted on immigration reform and always punts and throws immigrants under the bus to court 
what me and Daniel oftentimes say is this mythical Rust Belt white voter who drinks real coffee in a real diner, right? And we're seeing this at play as we're recording this right now. And to the chagrin and disappointment of many progressives and Democrats, President Biden and his administration and many Democrats are considering what they say are sweeping restrictions on migration in exchange for aid to Ukraine and Israel. Can you unpack this for our listeners about what they're proposing and what's your take on it? I, you know, how many times have I said this, that I'm so disappointed in the Biden administration on so many levels, um, most particular immigration. And I, I will come back to your question because I'm having th this debate with my closest friends who don't want to vote in the in next year's election. They just don't want to vote. They can't bring themselves to vote for either person. But the problem is their vote would have gone to Biden, I assume, right? But they just won't vote. And I keep on reminding them, but, but what about judicial appointments? What about other policies other than immigration? You don't want Trump to be... A... Anyway, I it is insane that it wasn't just Biden being strong-armed by the Republicans in the Senate to put immigration on the table over the negotiations over aid to Ukraine and Israel. Biden himself actually was willing to put that on the table. He had willingly put it on the table. He so they didn't have to strong arm him? Oh, no, 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 no. I know people who work in the White House, and, and the White House is enigmatic. To his credit, he does have people that are good and bad on immigration. And from day to day, they have battles in the White House. But the, the good guys, if you will, they've lost this battle. But what they have told me was all along, Biden believes in the rhetoric that there is a border crisis. All along, he has bought the rhetoric that there's a border problem. And my argument is that it's not a border problem, it's a humanitarian challenge that we can handle. But he's bought into this rhetoric that it's a problem and it's a porous border. And so he's basically, he was very willing to put on the table things that Donald Trump had championed, which is, for example, that if you traveled through a third country, in other words, if you came from anywhere else from Mexico, you have to apply in that third country. He's willing to buy into this rhetoric that okay, to screen to be eligible for asylum. And incidentally, the clinic that I helped to run, we have over 400 clients. It's really a legal aid office. It's not a law school clinic. And, and the, the folks that I represent, which are from all over the world, they're not just from Central America. They are mostly, but they're from everywhere, including Africa, including Jamaica, including the China. And um, they're, they're not coming for a walk in the park. They're coming out of desperation. Uh, and I'll come back to this in a minute, because we ought to be spending more of our money on helping to solve root problems, although whether the United States can help in that is another, another question. But he, the other thing he's willing to put on the table is something called expedited removal. There is a provision in the law that if you came without documents and you're caught at the border, you can be deported without a hearing before an immigration judge if it's within two weeks. He's willing to, to enable expedited removal without a hearing, without an immigration judge, nationwide. 
And if you have entered within the last two years, what's frightening about that is that he's not just talking about an executive order. He's talking about a willingness to make those permanent parts of the Immigration and Nationality Act. In other words, he's willing to have statutory change. And not it's not just an executive order he's willing to do. That is the most frightening thing. For this current day moment of funding this year for those two countries, he's willing to make wholesale permanent statutory change that would affect the plight of future refugees to the United States. That that is that that's that's giving away more than the store. It's it's giving away our humanity. It's giving away a permanent part of what the nation should be standing for. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now, wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You know, when I have said multiple times that, you know, Trump becomes president again and you are... You're not just giving away the store, you're giving away every bit of your liberty, every bit of justice, every bit of opportunity, every bit of hopefulness, because they are coming to finish the hit job on our democracy, right? They set it up in 2016. They got through and tested some of the fence and the guardrails during his administration from 2017 until you know, January 2021 until January 6, 2021. But they get back in and they are finishing the hit job, which means not just reversing every bit of progress that has been made, right, in this country to expand opportunities, rights, access, um, but they are going to punish the very people that even attempted to want those things in the first place. Like that to me, is is really like the cherry on the white supremacist cake. It's not just that we want to get rid of your history. It's not just that we want to wipe away diversity and equity uh, projects. It's not just that we want to do away with immigration. It's that we want to punish those people 
who have had any bit of success, any bit of access, any bit of rights, so that you know who's in charge and that it will never, that you will never fight again. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, there are several, but the two big cases that his, that his Supreme Court controlled justices really just, just endorses, proves your point. They're coming after us. They came after us on the affirmative action case. They came after us with the voting rights cases. Okay. And those both, as you both know, those go to the root of any possible access to political influence in the country. And as the, demogra as the demographics were changing and are changing in our favor, closing off the rights to bastions of higher education, closing off access, meaningful access to, to voting, that's where they are going after the jugular. I, I agree with you. They're, they're coming after us. It, it, it's it, not just immigrants. It's people of color. And we've talked about this often on our show. We talk about the attacks on DEI. We talk about the attacks on uh, books written by people of color. We talk about voting rights. We talk about the attacks on immigration. But oftentimes the problem is, is that within the majority, the, the majority fails to see how this is all connected. And there's a divide and conquer technique that has very successful pits black people against immigrants, Asian against black people, uh, LGBT against religious immigrants, and so forth. And what we always try to warn this show is, listen, step back for a second, look at the big picture. They're coming after all of us. And if you look at the polls right now, and if you look at the data, the reason why some would say that President Biden and, and, and Democrats who apparently are no longer progressive, like Senator John Fetterman, just found that out <laughs> on immigration, apparently. And Israel, the man who said I'm progressive, has just said, I'm not a progressive. I'm a regular Democrat. Okay, in order to what they believe win over the majority and the whites and, and the moderate voter, and they're looking at the polls right now, they're like, we're losing on immigration. Republicans are winning. We're getting trounced. So this is why we have to sell the immigrants uh, out. We have to throw them under the bus. And and you mentioned in your book, you have another way of looking at this, how to humanize immigrants, how to create a message where you can have immigration reform, win over people and not throw people under the bus. Can you give us a vision, some strategy for Democrats moving forward? Because this is a perilous state that we're in right now where Senator Fetterman is like, whose wife, by the way, was an immigrant, is saying, Nope, gonna throw her under the bus also. Yeah. I, again, I, I, you may think that I'm being Pollyannish here. I, I choose to believe, and people may think I'm wrong. I choose to believe there still is a gigantic middle in this country that, with respect to immigration, for example, they don't really have strong feelings one, one way or the other. And if they do, and if they've met an immigrant, that's usually a positive interaction, okay? Uh, and so uh, this is an opportunity to me to explain who are the, if, let's get to the border, okay? If this is what it's about, let's talk about who the folks are at the border. I would challenge any of the so-called moderate Democrats, go to the goddamn border, okay? Come with me. It's an open invitation. I go every six months. Come with me. Let's spend an afternoon interviewing the folks that I encounter at either on the, the Texas-Mexico border, the Arizona-Mexico border, or the Cal—I've been to all three, okay? Come with me. 
let's talk with these folks. And when you learn who they are, let's get to, let's communicate to the American public. These are not people that are coming to do us harm. They're, they're regular people who are desperate because of the violence that they have fled. I, I really think that would make a difference. And I want to believe that. That's true. I'm being idealistic in that sense. But I want to believe that the people in the middle have a heart and that we've got to tap into that, into that heart. I mean, you're better than me because you, because you want to believe, and you know, and, and look, um, uh, uh, having hope and faith of, of tapping into people's humanity, I think is what is important because the way in which the MAGA supremacy movement has been about painting people with the broadest brushes possible have me also believe that there are no people inside of red states that are fighting, that are pushing, and that is not the truth. Um, and so to that, to that point um, that you make, it is really important um, that we appeal um, to the humanity of people and not have, not just, you know, shrug them off. Um, I want to thank you so much, uh, Professor Hing, for joining uh, Democracy-ish, for educating the fabulous Wajahat Ali uh, into the... Uh, I, I love student. Yeah, <laughs> into please, the extraordinary please. person that he is. <laughs> Folks, I want you to make sure to check out um, uh, Professor Hing's latest book, Humanizing Immigration, How to Transform Our Racist and Unjust System. Thank you for, for making the time. Um, folks, thank you for listening to Democracy Ish. I'm Danielle Moody. And I'm Wajat Ali, the son of Pakistani immigrants. <laughs> and I'm the daughter of Jamaican immigrants. And, and we <laughs> and we will be back next week if in fact we have a country left. Inshallah. <laughs>